up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. I'm coming to you from very snowy New York. It's been <laughs> snowing here for, I think, weeks and weeks and weeks. Yeah, and- very rainy here. It seems like we've had the wettest summer ever, which is good compared to last year, I guess, with all the bushfires. But uh, it's a bit, you know, grey, rainy here too this today i haven't seen the sun in days i feel like (laughs) it's just gray Mm. every day i know that you know you guys are all probably sick of it but to us or to me anyway the snow is so beautiful and we we don't get snow here where i live so it's so um, like a dream (laughs) whenever i send you guys pictures i'm just like oh it's so gross and miserable and you're always like it's so pretty (laughs) so different to anything we ever get so have you ever seen the movie silent hill don't think so. It's like a scary movie, but yeah, yeah. And I have heard of it. I just don't think I've seen it. There's always ash like falling from the sky in Silent Hill, and that's how it feels here at this point. <laughs> I feel like I literally have nothing to talk about. <laughs> Neither do I. So since <laughs> the last episode, it feels like it's been <laughs> a year ago. In the last, you know, this, you know, the saying, it's like this. What a year this week has been because last episode was a year ago. Oh my gosh. So after we spoke last time about how we weren't sure what was going to happen with Facebook and all that type of thing, I woke up, I think it was two weeks ago-ish now, um, to a million messages from all the True Crime Society girls. What's happened? Where's your account? What's happened? So I woke up 6.30 in the morning. There was an email from Facebook asking me to confirm my ID by uploading, you know, which I uploaded my driver's license. My name on Facebook is my real name was my real name, (laughs) Um, uploaded it. Within one minute, they wrote back, like I'm assuming it's just an automated email, saying, sorry, your account has been disabled because you're not a real person, basically. (laughs) (laughs) So all my 15 years of Facebook is gone. I can't get hold of anyone. Um, You know, I couldn't even get my data. It took them 12 days, finally, thank God, for them to send me my data. So that's all the photos of my kids, you know, my wedding, all those type of things, everything just gone. I've never had a Facebook ban, never. When I looked at my um, violations before this all happened, there's nothing, you know, and we were talking about how we've been just having issues with being able to post in the group. So I'm still as at a loss as to what happened. Um, It's, and I know it sounds stupid, but, and I, and I'm, moving on (laughs) now but at the time it was so devastating just to have no control at all no um accountability I guess of they can just take it away from you all you know my my husband has a business on Facebook we spend money advertising on Facebook um just no no accountability and you can't even get in touch with anyone no I can't and they like even when I was trying to get my data I went on every day to request it and you know I enter in my email that my account was linked to and they're like your account's been disabled this cannot be overturned so I'm like you know even I I still have no idea why I have no no idea yeah shitty it's just and then and then you know, I feel like all we do is whinge about Facebook, but I, I just feel like really, I really, really, really feel like it's just a sinking ship at the moment. So for anyone who has been there forever like I was, get your data. You can request it now. You can download it. It might take them, you know, forever to send it to you, but make sure you've got it so you can get your photos, your, you know, whatever else you want to keep on Facebook. You can request exactly the data that you want apparently. And you can request yeah. it on your phone. Just yeah. You just go into your settings. Um Yeah. And then go down to where it says like your information, data, and it says request your data. So then you check off what you want. Like you can get literally everything, but I just did like my photos, like my posts, some comments, my group posts, just because there's a lot of information in those. And then you send the request and then you wait a few days and then they send you the files. Well, they don't send you the files. They put the files there. And so then you would probably want to go on like a computer or something to download the actual files because there are big files, but you can request it on your phone. I am. When they finally sent me my data, I couldn't obviously pick what I wanted. So I think it was nine, five gig files. So it was a lot. Um, I I put it on a hard drive I I feel like also and like so then it also happened to another one of our admin in our group she was locked out of her account for no she could she didn't know why either thankfully her account came back and it was for a photo or a meme that she posted from March last year it was I think it was a Simpsons meme it was so ridiculous because it was about coronavirus 
It was like a coronavirus meme, but it was before the pandemic even happened. It was the most low level meme. There was nothing really super offensive about it. It was just ridiculous. So anyway, when this all happened, um, so now end story, I still haven't got my account back. I'm assuming I will never get it back. That means that all the four years of our posts in the group that I made, any anything I ever did on Facebook is gone. So the links are, you know, they're just totally gone. No one can see them, which is a bit gutting because of all. When you just think about all the work that we've put in, just all gone. So once this happened, we thought, look, we've got to do something about this. We can't let this keep happening just when they, whenever they feel like it. So as a, um, I guess a plus to all this chaos and drama, we've decided to make a new platform for True Crime Society. It's up online now. You, all you need to do is go to truecrimesociety.com and it's on there. You can join up. We've had so many helpers, which I think we're all so appreciative for, who have moved over all our content. I think we're up to like 3,000 posts. The group has been going over there for about, what is it, 10 days or something like that. And we're nearly at 10,000 members already, which is just so, so amazing. I'm so happy that so many people are kind of jumping ship with us and want to get off Facebook. And the, the amount of comments we've had from people who are like, wow, I'm so, so, so glad I don't have to go on Facebook anymore. I only went on Facebook for your group have been, you know, it's crazy. I feel like there's a lot, and I know there's a lot of people who will stay with Facebook and that's fine, but there's a lot of people who are just over it. There's a lot of people who are resisting the change just because it's change and Facebook is easy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And saying that they'll find, you know, other true crime groups, other things like that. But I do think soon within the next six months, most crime groups and death groups on Facebook will be gone. Facebook has a lot of newer community standards that they're enforcing, um, yeah. basically saying that you can't talk about you can't publicize crime on Facebook. So you're not allowed to talk about anything like that. You're not even allowed. How we were saying last week, we were trying to have people post the gun emojis instead of saying the word yeah. gun. Now that is also a problem using the gun emoji or the knife emoji. So you really can't have a true crime group on Facebook. I feel like people might think, some people might think that we're kind of making it up and we just want to move to our own platform. Like we didn't want to make this move. We would, if, if Facebook was how it was, two years ago, we would have been quite happy, I think, to keep it going. But like these, this is, I've, I wrote a blog about it just so people can actually see the facts about why we're moving. And like, this is direct from Facebook community standards. It says things like, do not post, share, engage content, blah, 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 blah at very high frequency. So that was one thing that used to happen to me is they wouldn't let me post in my own group because it was spam. And I, and I didn't post a whole amount, like, you know, maybe three or four posts a day. And to them in my own group, that was the only place that I was restricted from was <laughs> posting there because they deemed it as spam, which I suspect mm -hmm. might have some reason why, you know, contributed to why they removed my account as well. There's a whole section in the community standards um, about publicizing crime, which is essentially what we do according to Facebook. It says we cannot post content that falls into the following categories, harm against people, harm against animals or harm against property. So that is basically every single thing crime related. Yeah, even though we're not instigating harm against any of those things, I don't think Facebook can really tell the difference between just talking about it from an observation yeah. perspective and trying to rally the troops to go seize the capital or something. Yeah, it's just, and it's also because I think they just use a lot of automatic modding now. So, you know, they see a word or they see, you know, the word gun or whatever, and that there's no context. So we could be talking about a crime where someone was shot with a gun. We're not advocating for people to go and use guns or anything like that, but they just have no way. They just see the word gun come up 20 times. Yeah. So there's another thing as well. I think I can't remember who sent it to us, but basically we are now responsible. So if you if someone in the group submitted a post about a gun, for example, and Facebook deemed that against their community standards, rather than that being a strike against the poster, it's a strike against the group and the admins. So it's just um, with how, I don't even know what the word is, how trigger happy they are to get rid of groups and accounts. It's just not worth it anymore to stay there. Yeah, and a crime group even bigger than ours was recently disabled yep. too a bunch twice of i think they disabled that twice anyway long story short and the other thing which i know i just said long story short but the other thing <laughs> which also makes it and you know we can't stay there anymore is i don't know if you've all heard about it but there's this war going on with the australian government and facebook so basically the, the australian government wants facebook to pay for sharing news so you know 
you read, I always read the news on Facebook. Like I'd sign, you know, liked all the news pages. That's how I'd get my news. Now Australians cannot see any news posts, share any news posts um, because Facebook have just said, no, we're not paying, so therefore you can't do it. So even things, they do this with no warning apparently according to the government. So they did it the other day and even they got rid of pages like um, health Facebook pages where people would get their coronavirus updates, um, pages like the Roy- uh, the bushfire service were gone, even just like, and I've seen so many posts from people whose business pages have been totally wiped. So it's just, it's ridiculous. And like when I even tried to share the news in the group about not being able to post, I got an error and it's like, you know, due to Australian guidelines or whatever, you are unable to share these. It's just, it is honestly ridiculous. I, I, I cannot believe. You can't even share yeah. a link to our own like yes, website. Yes, to our own group. Our own, <laughs> our own, our own <laughs> it's ridiculous. So, you know, I know, like you said, people are resistant to change, but there is honestly no way around any of this. I, I, I can't see Facebook coming back from this. And I actually don't even know if they want to come back from this. I don't know what their end goal is at the moment. I don't know if they're just trying to, it's like they're trying to burn it to the ground. They're trying to pull my space. Yeah. So anyway, after all that, I guess the main thing to know is we, as of this weekend, we're going to turn off posts in our Facebook group. As long as Facebook leaves it there, you'll still be able to read all the old posts and things like that. But we won't be accepting any new posts, all new posts and, you know, all new news will go on truecrimesociety.com. You can sign up. If you do sign up, please use your email. Don't sign up with Facebook because the Facebook verification thing is a nightmare. So just use your email. It'll be heaps easier and you can access it via app mobile browser, desktop browser, I suggest signing up via the browser because it'll be heaps easier and then you can get the app later if you want to use the app. So just go to truecrimesociety.com and you should be able to log up. Fuck, what is wrong with me? (laughs) (laughs) You should be able to log in, sign up, all that type of stuff and you can message us if you have any issues. But we've got hopefully by the end of the weekend we'll have 10,000 members there, which is so, so, so amazing. It's basically like an old school forum before there was really social media groups. So some people do like that who used to use them. Some people who are younger don't really get it. (laughs) But yeah. I think it's easy enough to use and it's like anything else that's new. You just have to get used to it and break your habit of going to Facebook and get yep. yourself yeah, into I think that's all it else. is too. Even it's been hard for me because first thing I would do is or every day would be check Facebook and check the group. So it is just a habit that you've got to form. And the other thing that we've got too is we have this amazing customer service person there who responds and will do basically anything we ask for, anything we need help with. Like it's so nice to have someone who actually wants to help us <laughs> rather than Facebook where they, like what about the last message before they got my account where it's like people might be bad actors attempting to doge, D-O-G-E. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it was ridiculous. So um, They basically accused us of lying. <laughs> yeah, lying about whatever doesn't matter so the other thing when you said old school it is like it's a I guess a more traditional way of having a discussion but it's all updated like you can still do all the fun things that you did on Facebook like you can post images videos like things have friends on there you know all that type of stuff so it's um and I guess when you think about it it's old school but it's still survived it's new outlived outlived MySpace Facebook maybe so mm-hmm. it's, um, you know, it's all set up exactly how it was. We've got it all organized. It's all there. You can get anything you want there. So come and join us, I guess. One last thing I want to say about this before we move on is before any vultures try to mm-hmm. make their own groups off of our dead carcasses on Facebook, don't even think about it because our names are trademarked and we paid a good yeah. amount of money to get them trademarked. So believe me, if you think you're going to make um, – true crime society fucking whatever i'm gonna send you a message saying you better fucking change that name or we're gonna have a lawyer contact you yeah we um shut down our smaller death after dark group first just to kind of migrate people over in batches and as soon as we did that someone made a group with the exact same name so they got a bit of a cease and desist commented in our group like well come join my group now yeah so yeah don't do that because we will see it and we will find you yeah. yeah. It's like taken. I will find you and I will kill you. <laughs> um, anyways, I think that basically sums up the nightmare we've been going through. I know it's sad for a lot of yeah. people, but believe me, it is a lot more sad and a lot more frustrating to us. Like I said, if we could yeah. stay on Facebook, we would because it's been 
a lot of work for us and we are losing yeah. a lot of stuff, but we'd rather put in the work versus losing our entire group in the three years worth yeah. of posts that are on it. So that is that. Hopefully we'll see you over there. But yeah. today for this episode, we are going to be talking about people who are missing that end up being found dead in their home sometime later as if they were there the whole time and just no one found them <laughs> in their home. It always blows my mind that this can actually happen Mm-hmm. especially in cases where they do really, really big searches. You think, honestly, the first place that you'd search would be the house. I think the most like noteworthy one that I feel like a lot of people kind of forget this happened with was John Bonet. They searched through the whole house and then dad went like in the basement or something and she was in the <laughs> fucking basement after they had been yeah. looking for her. Yeah. So I was trying to find some stats about missing people who end up being found dead in their houses but that's very specific so i couldn't find anything (laughs) but i did find something that was interesting enough that's worth reading um i found the missing persons count by state from 2019 and what do you guys the listeners think the state is that has the most missing people give you a second to think (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it is Alaska. Their total of missing people is only 309, but they still have the highest like percent for how many people live there. So it's percent or missing per 100,000 people is 41.8 people. After that, it is Arizona with only 13 missing per 100,000 people. And then Oregon, Vermont, Washington. Are the top ones. I'm not so. really surprised about Alaska. I guess it's so remote that there's so many places people could disappear to. It's also a lot of bears. <laughs> and a lot of snow. <laughs> a lot of bears, very cold. <laughs> a lot of ways you could probably die and go missing in Alaska. Also, I feel like, no offense to anyone in Alaska, I feel like if you live in Alaska, probably isn't always the most fun. Yeah, there's not a lot to do, probably. <laughs> Maybe I'm ignorant, but I just think of like desolate wasteland of snow. Uh, so we thought today we'd go through three cases that kind of in three cases in detail where someone was found dead in their own home after they were reported missing and there's but there's so many so I've also put a little list together at the end where if you guys want to do a bit of a you know rabbit hole deep dive you can google and find out more about these other people but the first one that we're going to speak about is Julie Julia Snyder Julia was a 53 year old teacher um, and she lived in Malibu in California so her house, which was I think was just down the street from her parents' house, was being renovated. We had a whole big thread on this in Death After Dark, but it has been removed as per my account being removed. So we lost <laughs> a lot of the information. But um, from what I recall, her house was being renovated. She was staying with her parents down the street. Um, and she was reported missing on February 8th last year, 2020. The search for a missing woman in Malibu is now in its eighth day. 53-year-old Julia Snyder disappeared last Saturday in Malibu. Her family says she is bipolar and does not have her medication. Snyder was last seen near Latigo Canyon Road and Ocean View Drive. Several departments are now conducting a full-scale search of the Latigo Canyon area. They're deploying technical rescuers, drones, as well as canine units. So there was a news report from ABC7. I'll just read it out. It says, Los Angeles County Sheriff's investigators and volunteers began canvassing the Malibu hillside Saturday in search of a 53-year-old woman who suffers from bipolar disorder and has been missing for more than one week. Julia Snyder was last seen near her home on the 4300 block of Ocean View Drive around 9 p.m. on February 8th. The department's Malibu search and rescue team was deployed Saturday morning for a full-scale search of the area, complete with technical rescuers, drones, and canine units. And then it goes on to describe her. It says she's described as white, five foot seven inches tall and 140 pounds with long, straight blonde hair and blue eyes. She was last seen wearing a white shirt and flannel pajama pants. So this full-scale search with dogs, drones, everything went on for 10 days. On February 19, 2020, which is not that long in the scheme of, you know, this topic because some people missing people are found years later. So it only took them 10 days to find Julia. She was found in the crawl space of her parents' home. There's an article from after the discovery and it says, investigators returned to the home on Wednesday and put up yellow crime scene tape around the property. They later said her body had been found there and it was believed she had been there since the day she was last seen. There is no evidence of a crime or foul play, according to the sheriff's department. 
the Los Angeles Medical Examiner has a website for any, um, I don't know if it's anyone, but most people who die in Los Angeles County are added there. We found Julia's entry on there and it was deferred, which means basically they were waiting for further testing, maybe toxicology or a police investigation. So we were waiting, 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 and finally they um, updated her entry on there and her cause of death, like finalised, was undetermined. So they couldn't determine, you know, figure out how she died. There was no drugs, I'm assuming, in her system or her body was so decomposed that they couldn't tell if there were drugs in her system. According to the medical examiner's site, it says the manner of death can be recorded as undetermined if there is not enough evidence to reach a firm conclusion. For example, the discovery of a partial human skeleton indicates a death, but it may not provide enough evidence to determine a cause. So it always, you know, blows my mind when people, when we can't figure out how someone died, like how can you just pass away and there not be enough evidence to show why? It's crazy to me. I also think after, I guess like I really have no gauge on this because I always wonder after, what was it, 10 days, like how badly decomposed would you be? I guess it depends how hot it is and a lot of things, but yeah, it was February in California. I imagine it doesn't get super hot. And you wouldn't think that a crawl space... I don't know, especially that time of year. (laughs) You wouldn't think that it would get that hot. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I I would love to know more and maybe maybe we should request her autopsy report and see what it says. I was thinking that too. (laughs) But um, How was she, like, found? Like, I don't know. Yeah, like was she... Yeah, like laid out flat. Was she curled up? Was you know? There's a whole bunch of things. Was she wearing clothes? Know. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we should do that. <laughs> we'll get Scarlett to do it. She likes requesting yeah. autopsy reports. But no, I don't, like I was trying to figure out how I thought she died, and I know that it said she had bipolar disorder. Um, and so I was googling, you know, if it could have been related to that. And it says that you know people with bipolar sometimes take their own lives, but it didn't really specify anything apart from that I don't know I I just I don't know I can't like if she went into a crawl space did she just lay there until she passed away was she maybe she got maybe I wonder how big or small the crawl space is too like maybe she got just stuck in there and eventually just Mm. died from lack of oxygen like that kid in the that got stuck in the chimney yeah oh yeah 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 I know the one you're talking about yeah I don't know maybe she did get stuck maybe she maybe she was having like a manic episode or something like that and she went there to hide or to you know wait it out or whatever you know she's maybe she whatever reason she went in there for maybe yeah maybe she got stuck and couldn't get out thinking of her like going in like a small crawl space and like running out of oxygen it makes you think of that guy who you've probably seen the story because it's like on the internet I don't know but he was like cave spelunking or whatever they call it and he like went down a wrong path and it was too narrow like you had to crawl through it and he got stuck and he couldn't turn around and then the rescue crews couldn't even get him out so he just had to die there like his body's still there and they had to they closed it off but like they dropped a phone down so he could like say bye to his family and oh my gosh because he couldn't turn around he was like upside down yeah imagine just waiting there waiting to die Ugh, especially upside down, the blood going to your head. Yeah, God, that poor guy. That's terrible. I hate small spaces. I get really bad claustrophobia. I would never go in like a cave or an underground tunnel or I a crawl space. Especially the one thing I don't understand is cave diving, where you actually are underwater and in a cave. Like, could two worse even things? Worse. <laughs> <laughs> I oh. hate water and I hate I claustrophobia. Like drowning and dying in just like a small space that you can't get out of are like the worst ways to die probably. And that's both of them combined. Ugh, I know. It's crazy. Anyway, so, so maybe she just got yeah. stuck. It could turn around and ran out of oxygen or I don't yeah. know. I still want to know why it's undetermined. So maybe we'll try and see if we can find any more information on that. But because I need closure. Imagine her family. I'd be so annoyed if I was her family being like, what do you mean undetermined? Like, like, can you try a little harder? <laughs> There was another case, which is a little bit off topic, but I'll say it anyway. There was a case in Death After Duck where someone who was really young died, um, like in her early 30s or whatever, and then like there was discussion that her family didn't want an autopsy because they just wanted to get on with, you know, burying her and all that. I I can't, like I would need to know, I think, how someone that young passed away. It would also be suspicious Yeah, that they didn't want one. Maybe they just wanted to buy my theory. My, um... My grandma died kind of, not under like mysterious circumstances, but we think that like the hospital maybe fucked something up because she was fine, had to get a surgery, and then all of a sudden it was like, she's dying, panic. So my family wanted to get an autopsy done to see if they could tell anything. 
But my grandfather at the time didn't want to because just like the thought of them, you know, like yeah, cutting apart their that. body, basically, even though they still kind of do that for embalming. But just the thought of them doing an autopsy, I guess, yeah. made him like sad. I get I, I do understand that, too. But yeah. Anyway. Maybe just fear of what you'll find out. Yeah. So that was the first case. The second one we're going to speak about is one that we followed right as it was happening as this person went missing. And we did, again, have tons and tons of information that is now all gone. <laughs> but um, it was the case of Molly Megan Miller. She was from Charlottesville in Virginia. So she was 31 at the time when she went missing and she was reported um, as going missing from her home on December 30, 2017. So according to her fiancé, his name's Anson Parker, Molly was last seen the day before she was reported missing. So she was last seen December 29. This article from the time is from, I think it's WSET.com. It says, Charlottesville police say a 31-year-old woman is missing. According to officials, Molly Megan Miller was last seen December 29 when she left her home in the 900 block of King Street. They say she's 5 foot 8 tall and weighs 115 pounds and was last seen wearing a black sweatshirt. Officials say sometime between 8.30pm and 9pm that day, someone made a purchase of over $300 on her fiancé's credit card, which she's able to use. They say family and friends are concerned for her well-being. So Molly lived in the King Street house with Anson. They were quite eccentric at the time. We could spend a whole episode talking about their relationship and there's actually a whole another podcast by a news agency and it's called Missing Molly. So if you want to learn more about their life, you can check that out. But basically they had um, an open relationship where they were able to be intimate with other people. They were very artistic. Um, free spirits. Yeah, free Yeah, free spirits. So <laughs> you can even tell, like I just had a look at their house just while I was writing the notes for this because I wanted to just see if I could envision any more about where she was found. So if you look at the house on Zillow, um, when they bought it, it was very run down. So it's like a two-story kind of little, like a small house, 1,149 square foot. So it looks a very- A square house. Yeah, little. it looks very unkept. Like it looks like there might be like damp or mould on the front or, you know, it looks- like a very much a fixer upper. <laughs> so, and then they also have a photo online of what the house is like, I'm assuming now. And I think Anson still lives there as far as I can tell from public records. So they've painted the house like a dark navy blue. And on one side of the house, they've put a mural. Uh, I'm assuming you'd call it a mural. So it's pink and purple and yellow. And it just looks sort of space looking mural. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but, and there's like, it looks, like an artist lives there. <laughs> it's it's very unkept still. Like there's wood on the f you know front and oh, I think the mural is like a tree. Yeah, it looks like a purple. Like a it's you can see the um, like the leaves are trunk. purple. Mm. Yeah, but I don't know what that, don't know is what on that the thing bottom. coming off. It is. It looks like an alligator snout, but there's no alligator. Yeah, that's what I thought as well. <laughs> and then I don't. You can't see what's down the side of the house, but you can see they've painted it kind of like there's a big yellow panel, and then I don't know. So he's taken artistic license with his house, basically. So kind of, you know, I know I'm basing it only on the outside of the house, but if it is inside what it is like outside, you can almost maybe understand why she wasn't found. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so Molly was only missing for two days before they found her. They called off the search for her on January 1, 2018, because they found her in a closet in her own home. Charlottesville Police Department said Monday that a 31-year-old missing woman named Molly Megan Miller was found dead and her body was found in her residence by a police detective. Police clarified that, at this time, there is no reason to believe there is any kind of threat to the public. Authorities did not release any further details yet as the investigation into the case is still ongoing. She had taken her life by hanging. So I remember at the time we were like, how did they not, did they not open the cupboards and look? Did they not look? in the closet, but I guess if it was all piled up and maybe she went behind whatever, like that that's the only thing I can think of as to how they could have surely, and I, that, that's the other thing, surely they looked in the closet. So either they A, didn't look, or B, she managed to hide herself behind stuff is my thinking. I feel like if I came home and my boyfriend was like missing and he should have been there, I would have just kind of been in like a panic and looked around. You just assume they're not in the closet. Maybe yeah. then police were like, oh, did you look around the house to her family or whoever? And they're like, yeah, we looked everywhere in the house. And they're like, oh, okay. And then 
maybe when they did their walkthrough, same thing. You don't really think they're going to be in a closet. Yeah. So, I mean, understandable, but you're the police. So. <laughs> um, also, like you would think maybe you think, well, wouldn't you look and see what she's taken with her if she's gone missing? So, like, I don't know. Maybe it's a lesson to all of us to make sure you look in the closet if someone goes missing. I'll always remember this now. I'd be like, I have to look in every obscure area of my house because I don't want to be embarrassed when they're still here. There's podcasts about me being like, how did she not look in the closet? So once Molly was found, her parents wrote a letter, like they released a letter to the public. It says that Molly was a free spirit, a light in our lives, creative, loving, fiercely independent, and a seeker of truth. Although Molly left us in body, her spirit and soul are forever present. She is a present to us, a true gift. We will always refer to Molly in the present tense. She's not gone. She's at a better place and at peace. So another one where we waited for the autopsy, because I don't think at the start, if I remember rightly, they didn't release how she died. They just said that she'd been found in the house. So they eventually released that it was definitely a suicide by hanging. So Molly's mother has said publicly that she believes Molly's death is was a, a result of her taking Kratom. So Molly apparently suffered from bad endometriosis and that she was taking the herbal supplement Kratom to help her with her, you know, help her manage her pain. So for anyone who doesn't know, Kratom is um, a tropical tree which is native to Southeast Asia and it can contain compounds that have mind-altering effects. It's not illegal and you can get it on the internet um, and it's sometimes sold as a powder. And I looked up how it can affect the brain and it says Kratom can uh, cause effects similar to both opioids and stimulants. They react with the opioid receptors in the brain, producing sedation, pleasure and decreased pain, especially when users consume large amounts. It says when Kratom is taken in small amounts, users report increased energy, sociability and alertness instead of sedation, but it can also cause some side effects. I looked it up and in 2016 and 17, 91 people apparently died from Kratom overdoses, which is quite interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, But her autopsy said that she only had trace amounts in her system. So I guess, you know, if she was a long-term user, maybe that's what her mother is indicating, kind of, I guess, altered her mind and led her to take her own life. I like the other side of the story is, though, because it was only trace amounts I don't know how much it would really affect her, but even like you said, maybe if she was taking it for a long time, it could build up. Yeah. But part of me feels like it's one of those things where it's maybe she was depressed, like having chronic pain and stuff like that can really make you depressed and more suicidal. And yeah. maybe that's her mom's way of not wanting to admit to herself that her daughter willingly killed herself. It's like yeah. easier to believe for them that, you know, this this weird vitamin drug she was taking made her crazy and that's why she did it. I know in um the other podcast, the Missing Molly podcast, they go into the Kratom quite a lot and they speak about, you know, how she had to get it. And um, it sounds like she she did use it a lot. So um, I guess, yeah, it might be easier for her mother to kind of blame. But, but that could also show that if she did use it a lot, that might mean she really was in a lot of pain a lot of the time yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. I've never even heard of that. Kratom. Yeah. I've only heard of it in like only because I listened to that other podcast and I knew this <laughs> case. But this that's the only reason why. I tried to look up if there was any other cases of um Kratom users, I guess, taking their own life. And I did find one. I'm just opening it up now. It's I found an article from 2016 where some other parents um, of John Eden, he was 22. He took his own life as well. Um, he used a gun at a gas station. He wrote a note and he said, I've ruined myself with drugs. Um, and that he wasn't referring to street drugs. He was referring to Kratom. So weird. Yeah. Um, it says, and like, so one of the, like in the article, it talks about other people who use Kratom. It says people coming anxious, agitated, not having slept for six to seven days. We know this is not a safe compound. It's causing problems. Everything from mental status changes to seizures. You know, people are saying because it's natural, it should be fine. But in this article about this John Eden, they're saying it's obviously not. Kratom is illegal in several, several Asian countries, but it's legal substance in 48 states in the USA. And as far as I know, it's not very regulated. So, you know, you can buy it online and there's no way to regulate, I guess, what exactly what you're getting. That's true. Might not even be like pure yeah. kratom yeah. or whatever it is. <laughs> kratom, kratom. Um, there's also <laughs> a theory that Molly 
maybe went back to the house after she was reported missing and then she killed herself after they'd already searched there. But I don't know if I believe that. What do you think? I believe more that they just didn't see her in the closet. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a bit of a hoarder house where, um, you know, they just missed her because there was so much junk and rubbish and things like that everywhere. I have heard, I, I remember a news reporter at the time did say it was a very, um, I think he didn't use the word water house, but basically in a more polite way, he said that the house was a mess. Cluttered. Yeah, cluttered. <laughs> um, I was looking online on Reddit and I found one of local people talking about it kind of, and I think a lot of the theories are kind of just how it, even now it is with true crime groups just trying to think of other things that could have happened or even just like a more interesting story so that's why people were like oh maybe she went back in after and killed herself and maybe someone killed her is another theory but it just seems kind of like and i know in the other podcast they you know they do focus on that anson was quite unusual and maybe he knew more about what had happened to her and things like that but i i would honestly just not be surprised if this is just a straight out I th- well, I think it is a straight out suicide. Yeah. Like people were saying things about like if she was in the closet and they didn't see her, the door was probably closed. And they're like, but if she hung herself in the closet, who closed the door? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it wasn't closed. Maybe she closed it. Maybe yeah. someone closed it without really looking in there. Maybe it's an awkward corner closet that no one really looks in or uses. Yeah. I would love to see, like, I haven't been able to find any photos of the inside of the house, but I'd love to see. Yeah, I was trying to look too. Um, so for her case, the last thing we'll just finish with is her obituary. I'll read it out. Molly Megan Miller, 31, went to heaven Monday, January 1, 2018 in Charlottesville. A talented brick mason, we have no doubt she has redesigned and rebuilt the pearly gates. Molly was born in Clearwater, Florida on April 6, 1986 to Courtney and Marion Miller. Marion later married Dan O'McConnell in 1993. I don't know why they needed to put that in. <laughs> Molly lived in Charlottesville where she met her soulmate, Anson Parker. They got engaged 11-11-11. They adopted their dog, Luca, in 2015 and were inseparable. Molly is survived by her fiancé, the Parker families, her parents, grandmother, aunts, uncles, countless other family members and friends. Donations can be made to the Endometriosis Foundation of America or the Rescue Mission of Roanoke. So weird. I know someone else who got married on 11 11 11 and their dog is named luca oh my gosh how is that (laughs) that's so weird (laughs) that is crazy yeah random just just a nice side note if you are looking for a rabbit hole there's tons and tons of like steph said on reddit there's heaps of theories you know heaps of discussion about molly's case and i do recommend checking out that other podcast if you want to learn more as well it's called missing molly yeah apparently Ansel went, I don't want to be mean and say crazy, but there's like in the Charlottesville subreddit, people were posting like, what's with all the weird flyers about Molly? And I guess her, her fiance was putting up signs around town. That's like, find out the truth about Molly Miller, like go to this blog. And there's like graffiti all around about how Molly was murdered. And so there's a lot of conspiracies about it. Yeah. I think when it happened, something like that, like it is, was a crazy story. It happens in a small town. There's lots of people run with it. Very creative thinkers. Yeah. All right. And then third one we're going to talk about is from this year about Christopher Woytel. Woytel. I, look, I actually watched a video to see how you say it because I didn't, I didn't know. So it's Woytel. Yeah. Christopher Woytel, which I'll probably say wrong. So <laughs> don't be rude to me about it. Just call him Chris. <laughs> Christopher. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was last heard from on January 9th of this year. And on that day, he sent his niece a message asking for her mother to check her messages. And then he kind of just disappeared. This is the last known location for the missing man, Chris Voitel, last seen entering his apartment building. Family members say he's lived here for a couple of decades. Surveillance video shows Chris entering his building and walking to his apartment with a bottle of wine on January 8th. Family members say they talked to him on the 9th. Since then, they say no communication and no video of him walking out of the building. There's been no activity. He's not been in his apartment. There's no activity on his bank. Um, We're very anxious to find him. His two sisters and a brother flew to San Francisco from Chicago. Would you mind taking this? Our brother is missing. They passed out flyers near his building at the corner of Guerrero Street and DuBose Avenue. And if you're on social media, could you take a picture and put it on your social media? The siblings say it's out of character for the computer programmer to disappear. There isn't a day goes by at this point without wondering what 
what happened? Where is he? It's been horrible. It's hard to sleep. It's hard to think. On, it's hard to focus on anything else. We miss him so much. In the days before he went missing, he was acting very strange and very paranoid. He was posting some erratic things on social media, things his family thought was weird. So if you go, if you go to his Facebook, he's got a Black Lives Matter profile pic. Um, and then things like happy winter solstice and great conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn and Pluto and Mercury crossing the ecliptic and a dawning of the age of Aquarius, and- anyone. <laughs> Um, so I think a lot of it must have been private because there's not much else on it. There's just some photos. He, In December, he also spoke about um, like medical marijuana and about his friend. Or he says, my late partner, Lou. So Chris was gay, but it says my late partner, Lou, and <laughs> his late partner's Lou was actually, his Facebook name is Lucifer, <laughs> helped organise the early decriminalisation efforts here in San Fran. As a retired RN and a person with HIV AIDS who needed marijuana to live, as he put it, he got involved with the movement early on. So he was seems like he was quite um, involved politically um, had, or had strong views politically. So there's an article from Mission Local about his disappearance that had a lot of information, so a lot of this is from them. So in the days leading up to his disappearance, family members said he was acting strange and paranoid, writing unusual posts on Facebook, obsessing over the Capitol riots, and asking for money to replace a lost cell phone, and talking about how he wanted to escape to the mountains. So in text he sent on January 8th to his sister, he told her that he'd been hearing explosions outside of his apartment, and that he felt San Francisco was becoming increasingly unsafe because he feared that the protests by Trump supporters would spill into his city. Only hours before his family lost contact with him on January 9th, he told his sister that a man on a loudspeaker passed by in a car urging residents to get out now, which is something that happened a few weeks before that with that car bombing. So that was probably in his head. Oh, yeah. Um, He said in the text, do me a favor, put some money in my account, explaining that he wanted to stay with friends that lived in the mountains. He said 75 bucks isn't going to get me very far. So soon after that, he stopped responding to calls and texts, and on the 8th, his bank account ceased activity. His friends who owned the property in the mountains hadn't seen him, and he basically had disappeared. So surveillance footage outside of his three-story apartment building at 65 Guerrero Street shows him enter his third-floor apartment on January 8th at 8.38 p.m. But the cameras never captured him leaving, which should have been a big red flag. Not a red flag, but a big like, hey, maybe he's in his house. <laughs> They've actually released the footage. I watched it and he's car- he walks in carrying a bottle of wine. So he just looks um, you know, like he's just going up to his apartment to have a drink, really, I guess. So there's nothing. It's not like Elisa Lamb crazy or anything like that. It's just not like he's in a panic. The apartment. Yeah, no, it doesn't seem like he's rushing or anything like that. So it's just normal footage of him going into the kind of lobby of his apartment building. So police entered his apartment a week later, and despite no footage of him leaving the apartment, there was no one inside. So it's unclear how he got out, but they suspected since there was no one inside that he got out. According to that same article, Christopher, he had befriended a homeless man. Apparently this was something he did and liked to give them money and things like that. Um, The homeless man went by the name of Bood, B-O-O-D. I think that's how you'd say it. He had some issues with this person, and it was thought that maybe Bood held the key to Christopher's whereabouts. I've seen that said that they have had a romantic relationship, possibly. The family filed a missing persons report with SFPD on January 13th. They also hired a private investigator who concludes an acquaintance of Chris is involved in the disappearance. So on January 7th at 9.54 p.m., less than 48 hours before he went missing, surveillance captured Bood entering the apartment. The next day at 5.45 a.m., the footage shows Bood leaving. He didn't return, according to the footage reviewed by Williams, the private detective that the family hired to look into this. But between January 8th and 9th, there's no footage of Bood entering or leaving the apartment. So it seems like he came, left, didn't come back. But so that night, the night before Christopher went missing, he messaged Bood on Facebook. Bood, I guess, had been using his account to send messages to people that yeah. might have been threatening messages or just not great messages. I feel like both of them were probably not well mentally. It, it sounds like a very strange thing. It seems thing. like a, a mess. It seems like yeah, a hot yeah. mess between <laughs> the two of them. I don't know. One's borrowing phones from the other. Then they're on each other's Facebook accounts. And I don't know. But anyway, so Christopher messaged Bood and said, 
You fucking asshole. Done. That's it. Enough. You're on your own. You're far too much trouble. Phone number? Get your own. I'm not paying for you to harass people. You are an asshole. Don't ever come here again. And Boo didn't respond. Soon after, that is when Christopher went missing. So three weeks later, on January 29th, Bood wrote on a Facebook post that he heard Christopher had been, quote, jumped and robbed for his computers. He added that Woidel was killed by people named Nigel, Alonzo, I.C., and Eric. Eric, with all those other elaborate names. (laughs) So when the private investigator tracked Bood down and questioned him, he gave him a similar story. On February 2nd, the private investigator found Bood at a homeless encampment near SAE Expression College on Shell Mound Street in Emeryville. So it's unclear how Williams knew that Bood had the phone. I did see some people say that he tracked it. I don't know how true that is, but they knew that Bood had Christopher's phone for some reason. Bood told the private investigator that Christopher had sold him the phone for $100 a few days before he went missing. So friends and family believe that Bood may have stolen the phone or that Woidel had lent it to him because he'd done that in the past. And it seems like that after the message was yelling at him about phone numbers and paying for a phone, possibly. Yeah. So he showed the detective the phone and the detective noted that it was dead and wet. (laughs) Maybe didn't work. Um, Around February 10th and 11th, so this is over a month after he disappeared, there was a big media push in the case. His family made a Facebook group dedicated to finding him. And a few days later, they got the breakthrough they were looking for, and Christopher was found dead in the attic of his home. They made a Facebook post saying this, which they deleted, but on the internet, things last forever, so of course people screenshot it. (laughs) The post said, Thank you from the Woidel family for the outpouring love and support for our missing brother and son, Chris. The San Francisco police informed us this evening that Chris's body was found in the attic above the apartment he lived in. No foul play is suspected at this time, although the investigation and autopsy will continue to play out until cause of death is released. We want to thank the San Francisco, Emeryville, and Berkeley Police Departments for their help in looking for Chris, as well as all of his friends, relatives, and the media. So they deleted that one, which is kind of weird. And Mm. then they released another one that had less details. It said, Dear friends, the body of Christopher Woidel was found today. Christopher 50 went missing on 1921. The Woidel family has released a statement tonight. Today, the San Francisco Police Department and the medical examiner notified us that they have located Chris. It is with a heavy heart that we must inform you of Chris's passing. Please help us by preventing Chris's legacy. Preserving. (laughs) Preventing. (laughs) Please help us by preserving Chris's legacy in our memories. Thank you for your love and caring support through these difficult times. The autopsy is still pending. Because of that, the family has no further comment. The family asked for the media's sensitivity in its coverage. So they took out the part about the attic for whatever yeah. reason. And they also took out about foul play as well out of there. No foul play. Mystery. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the police it's, told them. It's interesting because um, the person who made the initial statement about the attic was Chris's brother. Um, I think Frank Frank Hoytel, who's Chris's brother. And then the person yeah. who released the second statement, um, I don't think is family. Yeah, because then it said a, a statement from the family. Yeah. So just very recently, as in yesterday. Yesterday, yeah. There was an update and it says, San Francisco man found dead Monday after his family reported him missing last month was discovered in a crawl space above the bathroom of his Mission District apartment, police said on Wednesday. San Francisco police said they do not suspect foul play in Christopher's death and said that he probably accessed the crawl space from the roof of the building and not from inside his apartment. On February 15th, detectives with the Special Victims and Crime Scene Investigations Units served a second search warrant at the home and furtherance of the investigation, this time looking into a small, roughly three-foot crawl space above the bathroom where they found his body. Police said the area was hidden from plain view. San Francisco firefighters cut a hole in the ceiling to retrieve the man's remains. Crazy. Yeah, I know. At the time of recording this, the autopsy is still pending, so there's still no information on that. But, I mean, that does give a little more insight into what this attic was, because it doesn't seem like an attic at all if you had to go to the roof to get to it. Seems more like a roof, yeah, like an actual roof space instead of an attic, like it's... Yeah. But it's like, how did he get in there if... I know. And they had to cut a hole. Again, I think this is probably similar to Julius Snyder. I think he was probably having a mental mental break or you know mental health episode and he went up there for whatever reason um 
Like you don't think unless unless he, you know, I don't know how you'd kill yourself in a three-foot space unless it was with drugs or something like that. Like there wouldn't be room to, or maybe there would, I don't know, room to hang or anything like that. So Or you got stuck in. Yeah, again. You wonder how he knew it was there. Like had he been up there before? Maybe he had. Maybe he went up there for whatever reason and this time he got stuck or, um, yeah, I don't know, it's interesting. I hope we I hope they eventually let us know more. Yeah, I hope it's not one of those ones where it's like, oh, no more information. Meep. I feel like this one is a bit more um, understandable as to how they didn't find him because it was an apartment building, so there was other places I guess he could have been. And if he was in the crawl space, you wouldn't may, and it wasn't part of his apartment as such, you wouldn't, I don't know, maybe maybe they should have thought to look there. But it seems kind of like what happened to Elisa Lamb in a way where yeah. he's very paranoid, he's clearly having some sort of episode, he wanted to get away, was worried about the political environment. So maybe he felt for some reason because of his paranoia that he needed to hide, went up into this crawl space and was stuck there and couldn't get out. Like how Elisa was clearly having some sort of mental episode and went up to the roof and wound up inside a water tank and couldn't get out. We could have spoken about her for this episode because even though it wasn't her house where she was found, she was found in the last place where she, she was missing. Was yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I saw people speculating online. A lot of people thought Bood, the homeless guy, was suspicious. Maybe he had something to do with it. Um, the private investigator did say that he had a leg injury and had a pretty bad limp, so he couldn't see him moving a body or being able to do anything like that. Some people yeah. wrote that off as like a lame excuse, but I mean, it would be kind of hard just to move dead weight especially yeah like even if you were fit it's still hard and especially to move it into such a small area like you know fair enough you could maybe drag a body into another room or something but to put someone in a three-foot crawl space from the roof yeah yeah I don't I, I I think that this was either a suicide or a um, accidental like death. some other misadventure type thing where he went up there and got stuck or he had a medical episode when he was up there I don't think yeah. it was better and they did say in some articles somewhere, because I saw people talking about it online, that the there were two exits, actually, or there's a front door and a back door, but they both did have cameras on them. But the camera on the back door was only one of those, like, motion sensor ones, so it's not really the best. So that could show how people would get in and out. But they also said that the door still had that chain lock on it, which you couldn't lock from the outside anyways. I saw some other people saying apparently there's a video or, you know, videos on how you can you can do that, but I don't know. Seems like a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe, I don't know, maybe if there was some, maybe he had a fire escape, maybe he could have gone up yeah, to the like roof that way. Outside of one of my windows I have a fire escape and I'm guessing I could go up to the roof or even if I yeah. just went out because his apartment building looks kind of similar to ones around here, like they all have flat roofs and stuff. On parts of my building you definitely could go out a window and go on the roof because one of my neighbors does that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, I feel like this one's probably one of the least, mis- oh, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say the least mysterious, but it's it, it's more explainable than the other two, I think. It's definitely weird, but less yeah, mysterious. Yeah, it's still definitely oh weird. Oh, my God. Yeah. Sorry, my cats are <laughs> acting out. Um, yeah, I think it's weird, but I think just because there's a lot of – just the whole homeless guy thing was a weird aside. Like, he had his phone, and he's also saying he's dead. Like, it's weird. This guy must have mental illness, too, like you said. Because imagine, like, your friend, your pal being missing, and, like, the police come. And you're just like, yep, he's dead. Yeah, I know. Random <laughs> AJ and Eric and Nigel killed him. There's lots of crazy parts to the story, and you can kind of see why they were suspicious of Bood because it's just crazy. Like, it sounds like it's a very unusual situation. Yeah. I don't know if anything else will come out, but hopefully it does. But that one seems more like as we've said, suicide or he got stuck. I'll um, put the surveillance footage and all that on the blog as well if anyone wants to check it out and see more about what he was like. I wonder how they even, like, eventually thought of the – I guess he probably started to smell. Yeah. And I guess you think, like, you'd have to go back and search again because they said it was only the second time they searched. So I guess they looked the first time and then didn't see him and then they thought, God, he has to be here because we don't – there's no footage of him actually leaving anywhere, so – they probably had to go back and do a more thorough search. I do want to know more about this crawl space. But... Yeah, me too. <laughs> I wish I knew his apartment number because then I could have looked it up on Zillow or something and seen if there was photos, but I, I don't. Try. We'll so. do some creeping. <laughs> 
So as I said at the start, there are actually a ton of these cases where missing people were found dead in their own homes. I will just speak about a few more quickly. So if you want to, you know, do a Google, they're on the blog and you, or if you want to look into them yourselves. So one that was one of probably the most high profile missing person cases here in Australia was Daniel O'Keefe. Daniel was 24 years old when he went missing from his home in Victoria in 2011. So his family did a really, really um, public appeal, you know, appeals for him. There was apparently footage of him in another state where he went, I think it was into a doctor's surgery and asked for a glass of water. So they were pretty adamant that Daniel was alive and that he had also, they thought, had a mental health break. I think he'd been struggling with depression and things like that at the time that he disappeared. So this went on for five years. Wow. You know, crazy. So that's what I mean. Sometimes it really, really is years and years that these people are missing. So on March 21, 2016, which was nearly five years after he disappeared, his dad was working on the family home when he came across Daniel's remains. Laurie O'Keefe said her husband, Des, was digging into the side of a hill and found a cavity where he made the horrific discovery. She said, Dan's found and we know where he is now. We probably don't need to have a full coronial inquest. We know now know all the details and nothing will bring Dan back. We know what happened to him. I don't have any unanswered questions. We know that he took his own life and he never left the home. So I remember at the time, this was so shocking when he was found, like they had, you know, police um, news helicopters and things kind of over the home as they were finding him. So it looks like their house was actually built into a bit of a hill. So underneath the house, it was kind of built into rock, if that makes sense. So, um, you know, people I know at the time were like, how was there no smell? But I can kind of understand because if he, it looks like it was very hidden and very um, sheltered. So he must, he might've been you know, in this crawl space, it was a crawl space far enough that there just was never any smell because it couldn't get out, if that makes sense. So it was so... Basically underground. Yeah, basically. Yeah, exactly. So I just, uh, you know, those poor poor family to have, imagine finding that as the dad after five years, it would be terrible. Yeah, like the whole time they were right there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know how you could ever recover from that. It's interesting that that's the third case that we've spoken about today alone where they were in a crawl space. So I wonder if there's something that um, draws people who aren't well into that type of situation, like into seeking shelter and, you know, in a very confined space. Maybe if you're just having a panic or very yeah, and I guess paranoid they go, yourself it, in a little space. In that it would probably would have been cool and quiet and, you know, calming but I guess for him he specifically sought that out to do too that when they and I don't I they've never ever said how he actually died but that they've said he took his own life so I'm assuming there yeah, was so just thinking there must have been some evidence of that like I, I don't know if he did hang him like oh you know I don't know like however he did it there must have been some way for them to know that it was that and not an accident yeah strange mm, very very strange then the next one of course is the Tote family, our favorite, <laughs> one of our favorites. Um, everyone, I always assume everyone knows it, but that is Tony Tot, his wife Megan, and their three kids were all reported missing in December 2019, January 2020. There's a bit of a discrepancy or discrepancy yeah, there when people last saw them, but the Osceola County deputies went to the Tote home on January 13th to serve a federal warrant to Anthony Tote for something totally unrelated for insurance fraud. And upon arriving, they were met with the smell of death. Um, Anthony Tote answered the door and he told deputies that his wife and kids were asleep upstairs. Oh, no, he told them that his wife was asleep upstairs and that the kids may have may have been at a sleepover, <laughs> but maybe not. But the deputies went in and upstairs and they found the wife and kids in the bedroom. So they did. They did search the house, right? Or did they just look around outside? No, I don't think they ever did. People went to the house. Remember, we were speculating that, like, because apparently the windows were open and things like that. And I know a neighbor at the time or a friend, so they went to the house and they couldn't. Like, there was no obvious smell or anything like that. So I don't yeah. know if they. I don't think anyone ever went in the house before that, but no one actually ever checked the house. Yeah, I don't think they did actual search in the house because it was weird because it was like some people some people were saying like they hadn't seen them, but then Tony obviously still alive, so he was kind of covering for them, being like, oh, no, like they're sleeping or they're opening I'm Christmas sure presents. police went to the house and they left a card, um, but they never, like before when they were trying to find them, but they never actually went in the house until that day. Yeah, but they were 
dead in that house for probably almost three weeks. And there's crime scene photos for anyone who is morbid like me and wants to check them out. <laughs> They're all yeah. on the blog. You don't see the bodies, but you can see what the scene was, where the bodies were found, and it was a big mess. There's a lot of blood in Benadryl. Yeah. <laughs> Benadryl pie. Dirtbag. <laughs> oh, <laughs> The next one is Marianne Marsh. She was a 61-year-old woman who was last seen apparently near her home on Birch Lane near Conway, South Carolina on February 14, 2020. It's another one that's a year ago. Her family created a missing person page for her. They wrote about all their searches. They did heaps and heaps to find her. It says they used helicopters, drones, and foot searches multiple times. So they obviously did a pretty thorough search outside the house, but maybe not so much inside. So on April 21, so two months after she went missing, they discovered her dead in the attic of her home. Police said a family member contacted them after noticing a foul odour. Another search took place then and her remains were found. It says that prior to her death, Marianne hid in a remote and obscure area of the attic of her home, which was not visible to others and required her small physical stature and intimate knowledge of the home's architecture to successfully enter. Another one. Yeah. That's a, she, when I remember looking at photos of her at the time and she was tiny, so maybe she somehow, I don't know, well, she obviously did somehow hide herself so that no one could find her. The last one. This one is a bit different than the others. <laughs> Hmm. Maggie Long, she's 17 years old. She was reported missing from her home in Bailey, Colorado on December 1st, 2017. On the same day that she was last seen, her family home was burned down. Her family mansion was burned down. <laughs> so at the time, media reports said um, Dave Wollers, he told Denver 7 that sheriff investigators, fire officials, and the Colorado Bureau of Investigation agents investigated the scene on the suspected arson at the family home located at 3700 Country Road 43 on Saturday. He also said that they don't have search parties out looking for Long and they're trying to see if there's a connection between her house burning down and her being missing. I remember we followed this one kind of in real time as it was happening when she was missing and I think like there was even a bit of an insinuation that maybe she had something to do with the fire and that she'd been a bit of a runaway and um yeah. Because they said yeah. they said they weren't looking for her, but then they didn't know where she was, and she, you know, so that was unusual. Yeah, it was it was very weird. But then friends, like people at our school, said that like she went home quick to get something, and she was supposed to come back, and like didn't come back. So it was very weird. But so mm. on um, December seventh, like a week later, police revealed that Maggie's body had actually been discovered inside the burned remains of the home. So her death was classified as a murder, though. And it remains unsolved to this day. They don't know who. I think they've said that it seems like someone broke into the house while she was there or she went into the house while someone had broken into it. And the reaction was to kill her and burn the house down. But they've never found who did it. There's sketches out and ideas of what car was seen in the area. But it's really been it. That's a big rabbit hole too for anyone. There's lots of theories about who was responsible for her death and why why she died basically and why they burned down the house. I think they stole weapons, ammunition, jade, jade. figurines. Yeah, like green yeah. jade figurines, yeah. Yeah, so a lot of people are like, it's the Chinese mafia, but <laughs> that's always been an interesting one to me. I know to you too. Definitely. Maybe we could do an episode on it one day when it'll be longer than 15 minutes because there's no information. <laughs> But that is really it for people, missing people found in their homes. That is it. I'll, put, I'll, put, I'll pop a list together on the blog as well of some other cases if you're fascinated by it as I am. <laughs> so in all this um, move from Facebook, we've had to do a bit of a rename of our website. So our main website is still truecrimesociety.com. That's where the group is now. So go check that out. But we've renamed our um, original site, which is our blog, and that's now truecrimesocietyblog.com. So there's a bit of a differentiation between the two. But if you want to check out the blog for this episode, truecrimesocietyblog.com. And as always, rate, review, subscribe, mm -hmm. um, tell your friends, get other people to listen. That's probably the best way, best free way to support us is by helping us grow our audience. So if you have some friends that like true crime, Tell them that there's this kind of cool podcast that you listen to sometimes. Maybe they'll like we it too. We had some really nice feedback from the first episode and we had some great download numbers. So it was really exciting to be back. Yeah. 
very motivating. Um, like Olivia said, we have True Crime Society blog, a separate website now. So go there, Instagram, not Facebook anymore. Yeah, so join our Facebook. <laughs> do not <laughs> delete your Wait, Facebook. Facebook. <laughs> Mass Exodus. But yeah, check out our website and the new forum. Become a member there. If you have any issues, you can still message us on Facebook. That's probably the easiest way to get in touch with us. Yeah. But definitely check it out page, yeah. and get a feel for it. That's about everything we could plug. So we will see you guys at our next episode. If you have any other suggestions for episodes, let us know. Yes, definitely. But otherwise, we'll see you guys next week. Bye. <laughs>